0: Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 95 of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Gentlemen, how are we?
1: Sweaty man, like properly sweaty. Uh, <laughs> we're, in, we're in a studio uh, slash spare room that doesn't really have a lot of moving air in it. And so uh, we're going to try not to melt during the course of this episode. How are you doing on your end?
0: I'm pretty much in the same boat, to be honest. I've moved from my very echoey lounge, so it doesn't so Hopefully this week it won't sound like I'm recording from within a cave. Uh, and I've moved into the bedroom that isn't full of boxes in my flat. So uh, yes, a, a custom-built recording studio is obviously on the agenda once we get that corporate sponsorship we keep begging for. Yeah, uh,
1: you, you've just triggered something because you said recording within a cave. I'm sure you you guys have seen that story that's bro- broken this week about the Thai... Uh, sports team is it who are trapped inside a network of caves underneath the ground did you see this yeah looks horrific
0: looks absolutely
1: horrific it really does and the plan has to be formed and sort of executed as how you know how to go about getting them out when they have no prior in in scuba diving and stuff like that and it's one of those things that it feels tasteless to say because obviously we're all crossing everything to hope that everybody gets out safely but it's going to be a story that will be a documentary and or feature film in the future I'm absolutely certain I mean it's just one of those things that you almost you know it's a cliche but you just couldn't write it and so yeah all being well everyone will get out safely and then they can sort of live to tell the tale but what an amazing tale it is
0: well talking of cliches I think I, uh, I owe the listeners an apology for my conduct on the previous episode I was given a final written warning by Pete <laughs> and I promised not to go to the pub again before a podcast because I listened back and I thought I handled myself quite well I didn't so I apologise
1: <laughs> I don't know don't be too hard on yourself I think it was fine um, so on this episode, to sort of honour the the sweaty nature of, of the UK at this point in time, and other parts of the world obviously, um, we are going to start with the normal section that we that we open with, which is in the foyer. We take you on a virtual trip through the cinema, and this is always our first port of call. But for this week, we want to do something we've done once or twice before, which is a little countdown, poll. Yes. We're going to count down our top five summer movies. Now... On my end, anyway, what I understood by this is sort of movies set in the heart of the summer, and particularly on like really hot days, or when the characters are affected directly by the weather conditions. Are you on a similar page to me with this, this uh, count? Pretty
0: much, yes. I've put, I've kind of put one, I would say, sort of cheeky entry right at number one, which probably doesn't doesn't abide with that those rules, but it's, I think it's close enough. I think it's close enough. So uh, yeah. Well, in that case, man,
1: I, I don't want to be in suspense anymore, and I'm sure the listeners don't either. What did you choose uh, for? Well, I don't know if you want to start with the controversial one or if you want to go sort of five through one. It's up to you. Uh,
0: I think I will go. I'll go five through one. So the controversial one is is a number one. So I'll go start with number five, which is uh, a film I haven't seen for some time, and I keep meaning to rewatch because it's great and it's very very silly. Uh, this is Ted Kotcheff's uh, Weekend at Bernie's from 1989. Do you, have you seen this film, Pete? Do you remember the concept of this? I'm. I'm sure I have seen this film in that
1: you know that time maybe being a sort of youngish teenager and trying to watch all of this kind of film because they had like boobs in and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, remind me what what's the deal? Do- so
0: so so the concept the concept behind Weekend at Bernie's is you've got two kind of layabout American late teens um, who get invited to uh, a rich guy's party called Bernie. Who I think he's trying if I remember rightly trying to frame them for some kind of fraud. Uh, they get invited to a party. Um, the only reason they can stay at the party is obviously if they're with Bernie but uh, unfortunately for them Bernie dies uh, Pete and they then basically have to masquerade around Mm -hmm. the party with Bernie's body uh, making it look like Bernie's still alive so they can still enjoy the party Uh, it's incredibly 80s it's incredibly silly and for the most part it's very funny so I mean you can't really top that concept in my in my book anyway (laughs) when was the did you see it recently again uh, not for a while no I haven't watched it for a while So I need to I need to seek it out I do remember there, there being some pretty funny physical comedy moments where they're kind of propping up his arms and making him wave I'm sure they take him yeah. on a phone at some point and yeah that's <laughs> what <laughs> springs to
1: mind when I think of the movie yeah.
0: even you know regardless of whether
1: I've ever seen it from beginning to end or not like that's the sort of uh, the image the iconic image I guess um, yeah talking of sort of things that we haven't maybe seen that recently uh, in at number five for me in no particular order is the Alfonso Caron film Caron um, Car which is a film that Encapsulates something particular about summer, and it's those summers where you're sort of emerging from your earlier teen years. So the guys at the centre of this, uh, played by uh, Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal, are I believe seventeen years old in the film, and they have this opportunity to go on a road trip. But um, the big twist on what would be a routine, you know, teenage boys road trip is that along with them is a character called Luisa, played by Maribel Verdú, who people will know from like being the mother in Pan's Labyrinth and, and elsewhere. I'm sure. Um, She is older than them. I think in the movie, she's supposed to be sort of in her early 30s, maybe about 30 years old. um, And incredibly beautiful. And this film is like, just... I said sweaty a number of times at the beginning of the episode, but like that comes to mind here as well. You've got all of this, like, this raging hormones that are just heated up to sort of 11 by the temperature that exists as they hit the road and the tension between the guys. There's jealousy between them. There's sort of a competition, an inherent competition that a lot of guys develop or have with each other when it comes to trying to be the alpha who gets the girl, or in this case, the much older, much more experienced. Experienced a much more savvy woman and it, yeah for me it really just like uh, as I say encapsulates something about being within a summertime when you're like 17 years old and all you think about is the people that you want to have sex with if I could put it as bluntly <laughs> as possible uh, but it's a really great film also it's very well made Al- Alfonso Caron obviously made the film that's about Uh, Not Space which is uh, Gravity quite recently and then uh, you know has (laughs) glittering credits to his name so if you haven't seen it so far it's made back in 2001 Ita Mama Tambien right good Paul what's second for you?
0: Uh, Yeah I'll second what you've just said because it's it's a very good film I haven't seen it for ages and as well it's kind of nice to see where um, Diego Luna and Banal sort of broke out from really because I would say that was their breakout film uh, in terms of making them star. So yes, it was very good. Uh, At number four, I've got, and this may appear in your list as well, Pete, so apologies if it does. I've got uh, Jordan Vaught Roberts, um, Kings of Summer from 2013, um, which is the... Other film he's made with the term, with the word uh, king in it. Um, after he butchered he butchered King Kong later on, but made Kings of Summer, which was actually rather good. Uh, and I thought uh, brilliantly encapsulated the feeling of being a kid and going out into the summer and sort of playing in the in the wide open countryside. Um, I think it's a very very charming uh, and heartfelt and very well made movie. Pete, is, is this in your list? It may be. Have, have I have I nicked it? <laughs> um. Well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was in my long list, and so I can just sub it out for something else. Okay. Well, I mean, what
0: did you think, Pete? If it made your list, would give us give us some
1: more thoughts? Uh, yeah yeah it's really great man like it, again like these kind of um, capsules of experiences of summer I guess are going to define some of the things that we've picked and I think Kings of Summer is exactly a different period which is that like I want to go uh, like run around in the river and build a thing and just hang out with my mates for like six weeks straight or whatever and in this case Kings of Summer they're like building a house aren't they some sort of or they find yeah, like,
0: I, think, I house. think they find an old house do they do it up I can't quite remember again I think been, they do it up yeah do it's almost like the char- that you dreamed of living but then you realized we were brought up in yeah. the UK so when I went out to play by the river it was like a sewage stream in the in the middle of Tadley with the with like some broken fence poles and a shopping trolley as opposed to what you actually see in Kings of Summer <laughs> yeah so yeah a, a, kind of a wish fulfillment to the keyhole here. into Basingstoke <laughs> yeah. Basingstoke life over there. yeah uh, also notable that
1: both uh, Nick Offerman and his actual wife Megan Mulally are in this movie as hun- husband and wife I think so uh, that's something isn't it but um yeah no it's it's really really good it sort of came out of nowhere and took me by surprise this movie so yeah i i, I definitely sort of co-sign on it being worth checking out and i'm sure if you haven't got to it it's worth you making time to sort of 100
0: 100 get to that if you if you haven't got to it don't worry about kong uh he is a good director and that was a very good film uh pete what have you got next Um, So next, I've gone for a bit of
1: uh, crime drama. This is the 1975 movie, Dog Day Afternoon, starring Al Pacino. Um, The reason being, and my memory may be sort of letting me down here, but the the heist that takes place in this movie, I believe, takes place within a horrible, horrible heatwave. And so there's like in my memory of this movie there are almost constant references to just how hot it is and the situation again is tense and this tension only adds to the sort of overall heat you've got some fantastic dialogue in the movie and I haven't said the word heat deliberately there when I'm talking about Al Pacino but uh yeah the 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 movie um for me is partly defined by the way it's set within really hot weather and the way that the situation is inescapable just like the weather is inescapable so I guess that's why it made it onto my list again f- more than worth checking out Sydney Lumet is the director and you know we don't need to tell you who that is um, Dog Day Afternoon well worth your time sorry I'm going to cut that one short because I'm starting to just sweat profusely myself is <laughs> <It's just, laughs> so, like form and yeah. content just falling into line perfectly here Paul what have you got next
0: um, yeah so next up I've got uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws from 1975 um, just again kind of you talk about the the heat and like it's it's set obviously in a coastal beach resort, which people associate with summer. Um, the heat of the film and the tension of the film, I think, is palpable all the way through. Um, and it kind of it kind of preys on that. And I think Jaws, one of the reasons it's successful, it preys on the fact that people sort of when they're at the most relaxed, they're also completely at risk from attack from the shark. Um, so I think that for that reason, Jaws is one of the, the seminal seminal films set in summer, not necessarily as, as a direct link. To summer, as some of the other ones we discussed, but certainly set in that time period, and I think the uh, sort of the, the the vacationing in vacationing victims um, add something to it.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point, Paul, that you made, which is that. When when we watch like horror movies and things like that in general, they're set in sort of the dark and in like gloomy, creepy areas where you think, well, yeah, something bad's inevitably going to happen yeah, here. Yeah. Whereas when when you know kids and their fa- and the families and stuff are all sort of playing around the beach and on the banana boats and stuff like that in the early sections of, of Jaws, the, it almost feels like, oh, what could possibly go wrong when people are yeah, in like, such this is a perfect. beautiful yeah, environment? Yeah, you know? yeah. And then yeah. obviously, as we as we know, if we've seen the film and or the poster, um, yeah, there there are some sharks about and that could work out badly for some people <laughs> um okay the next one for me so I guess I'm up to number three uh two three I think three, yeah, maybe yeah, three is um a film that I think I did mention briefly on our show before maybe as a popcorn movie this one is The Hotspot The Hotspot was directed by Dennis Hopper um, of sort of Blue Velvet fame and, and elsewhere um, but here in the director's chair directing uh, first of all a, a young Jennifer Connolly. what else do you want um, <laughs> uh, Virginia Madsen who is like at a- super peak Virginia Madsen at this time as a sort of a sex sex siren and a really sort of um, savvy, uh, capable one at that. And at the centre of the plot is Don Johnson, who sort of...
0: Can I just say, I don't really care about the plot. I want to watch this film
1: now from the way you've just yeah, described I it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it is like this kind of fairly sleazy B-movie in which Don Johnson sort of rolls into town and seduces everyone uh, regardless of sort of relationship <laughs> status and um, and yes it's enjoyable for that I mean yeah as you say like you don't really need much more than that there are scenes in and around a lake which are palpably erotic and um, there is a sort of make-out sequence on a pile of dirt that slightly changed me but um, yeah it's silly it's it's a kind of daft yarn but there's so much to enjoy about a film which just um, sort of takes great pleasure in, in yeah, like B-movie plotting of, of people taking their clothes off in hot weather. I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, that one's the hotspot from 1990. Paul, what have you got next?
0: Uh, I've got another sort of silly. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly not the best film on this list by a long stretch. Uh, this is David Wayne's uh, Wet Hot American Summer, the original film on which the Netflix TV series was, I would say, ba- well, was based. Um, it's just a very, very fun, very silly film um, set in a summer camp um, that's very irrelevant in places. Um, features a great perform, a great early performance from Bradley Cooper, um, and just it's just silliness from start to finish. It's just abject. Abject silliness.
1: Well, isn't there like a talking can of peas? I
0: think that, movie? yes, there's a talking can of peas in the movie. It's just, it's bizarre. It's batshit crazy. And I enjoy it a lot. It's just, it's just fun. Just fun. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's obviously, <laughs> it's obviously found an audience because as you mentioned earlier on, it's gone on to spawn this whole TV series thing been picked up by Netflix and I think done quite well. And has become a little cult hit in its own right that people go back to quite a lot. Yeah,
0: certainly. I mean, I I was surprised because when I first watched this, I think Netflix obviously picked it up knowing for where they they'd commissioned the series. When I first watched this, I had no idea it was from as late as 2001. It is kind of marketed as a kind of it looks like the way they've done the the, the flyers that kind of thing. I thought it was an earlier film of that. But yes, yeah, definitely a cult film. If you haven't seen it, it's yeah, it's not incredible by a long stretch. But it is uh, it's fun enough, and the series is the series is uh, diverting half an hour of your time. As right, well. so, and
1: uh, and Paul, Paul Rudd's in it as well as a sort of sulky teenager, yes. even though I think he's about yeah. twenty seven at the time.
0: Yeah, they all I think all the actors in it are much older than the characters they're playing, which is definitely a gag, and that's quite amusing as well. So they're all they're all sort of in their forties playing like 17, 18 year olds. So it's that it's that kind of that kind of level of silly. So I mean, it won't be for everyone for sure, but I like it.
1: Uh, number four for me is uh, Spike Lee movie from that era when Spike Lee was quite regularly quite good Uh, it's uh, Do the Right Thing it's a movie that's very much about being stuck in the middle of a really sweaty record-breaking summer (laughs) I mean characters are Constantly commenting on how like unbelievably and unbearably hot it is, and what they're doing to sort of escape from the heat, uh, you know, in, in various different ways. Uh, what to say about this? I think I reviewed this on the show not actually that long ago. Um, oh, of course, uh, Gus Fring, uh, Giancarlo Esposito is in this movie as like this really zany, wacky character that's almost unrecognisable. If you've come to that character from Breaking Bad,
0: yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, it was it was a re- really weird to see him in that role and just not being not being completely evil.
1: It, it's also <laughs> Also sort of like one of the early markers for when Samuel L. Jackson started Samuel L. Jacksoning all over the place um, and basically did that thing over and over again for the rest of his career to date. Um, yeah, Spike Lee plays Mookie in this movie. is both in front of and behind the camera. Uh, Rosie Perez, Danny. Uh, yeah, all, all kinds of characters form this sort of ragtag cast of people who... You've
0: got that, that incredible dance routine at the beginning as well from Rosie Perez, if I remember. Right. Is that, that is this film, is Right, it? And, yeah. and he that used the dance film.
1: sequence to open Chirac as well, I think, Spike Lee. So he's a, it's a it's a bit of uh, a, okay. a, a marker of his, I guess, his work. Um, yeah, Do the Right Thing is, is really, really good. I mean, the sort of um, social issues at the heart of it and the sort of community-based uh, racial tension is something that sadly, all these years later, certainly hasn't gone away. Um, and the movie being that it came out in 1989 is you know just a couple short years before the LA race riots as well so there's something sort of prescient about watching the film even though it is sort of 30 years old at this point. Um, What have you got next?
0: Well my number one or number five depending how you look at it would be uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine from 2007. You see what I've done there I've basically taken a sci-fi film with the word sunshine in the title and taken that as my number one film about the summer just because the Sun is basically the villain of this very, very tense and one of my favourite sci-fi films. Um, If you haven't seen it, basically the Sun is dying and they send a spaceship into space uh, with a nuclear payload in an effort to reignite the Sun Um, and what happens in between is a very tense, I would say at times, alien-esque character-led sci-fi that is one of my favourite sci-fi films of recent years. Um, Pete, am I allowed, Sunshine? Are you, you going to let this pass? <laughs> oh, absolutely, dude. Like, when it's this hot, the, uh,
1: the movie about flying directly towards the sun seems
0: more appropriate than any other pick that we could come up with. Right, so that's that's my cheeky entry. What's your final one? What's your final pick?
1: Final pick for me, Paul, is a film from, let's see, 2013. So five years ago. Uh, way, way back, that. 2013, isn't it? The film is The Way, Way Back. Um, this film is, well, first of all, great for having such a strong cast the cast is led by uh, Steve Carell and particularly Sam Rockwell um who was lauded for three billboards but here I think is at like real peak career uh, performance level he plays this water park manager who is kind of um at once in love with the work that he does and also completely over it and um he's trying to come to terms with the fact that he may not have progressed anywhere in life he Meets the youngest son of a family uh, called Duncan played by an actor called Liam James that I don't know a lot about Um, but he becomes this sort of like father figure whilst that kid is trying to get through some family issues that he has to deal with in a family that's made up of not only Steve Carell but also uh, Tony Collette I think Tony Collette's his mum and Steve Carell is her like overbearing boyfriend who's come along on the trip as well Um, lastly to mention Jim Rash is co-writer and director of this movie Uh, Jim Rash the guy that you know as as Dean from Community, um, and here, <laughs> yes, Dean dong, and all the puns based on Dean. Yes, uh, all the Dean Dons, and the yes. the other co-creator of the movie is uh, Nat Fax, and who's a, a regular. It makes regular appearances, particularly in comedy movies and sort of ensemble comedies and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really, really good. And again, it just encapsulates something about summer. Going to the water park at summer, in my humble opinion, is one of the best things that you could possibly do with your time. And that's where we spent almost the entirety of this film um, is in and around this water park. Uh, I could have picked here something like Adventureland as well. Adventureland's good,
0: yeah. Adventureland nearly made my list. Similar kind of setup. I think. Um, Adventureland was a very pleasant surprise for me, actually. I like that film a lot.
1: Yeah, and the, the horrors here are not it's sharks and stuff like in in a, in a movie like Jaws but there are horrors of a sort of family interconnectedness or like the breakdown of connections in a family here to sort of underscore all of the happiness and sunshine and things like that so yeah it's a big recommendation for me the way way back 2013 right we got through that list neither of us melted Paul we will be back in just a moment with our popcorn movies
0: And back indeed we are. So I'm going to dive in first um, with. I, in fact I was going to read. I was going to sort of reintroduce something that I used to do when I'm talking about this next film. You know when I watch cult films and then read the back of the box, Pete. You I remember you always you always embraced my creativity my when I did that. Thing, yeah, absolutely yeah. a favourite thing. But I watched this film and traded it in immediately afterwards. So I don't have the box to do it. So that should give you an indication of uh, of what I. thought. You've got nothing to say. I've got nothing, nothing to, to, to say, say now. So this is uh, extra. Um, as in extraterrestrial, I think, uh, looking at the, uh, the cover. Uh, direct, it's a British film from 1982, directed by a man called Harry Bromley Davenport. Uh, I'd never heard of the director before, and I'll be honest, I hope I don't hear from him ever again. Um, I, As much as I do very much like silly cult films, and you, as you're aware, um, I did not like this at all. Um, even despite the fact it features a scene where a woman gives birth to a fully grown man, and that's as horrific as you might think. Uh, there's sort of, for want of a much better description, there's a there's a, a midget clown running around with a bendy hammer at some point, um, and then there's lines such there's such lines as "you crazy maniac." Despite all of those things that would normally tick the boxes, and I would not generally enjoy something like that, whereas not a lot of people would this is just shit like, it just it has no energy at all it's, it, takes, it seems to take itself far too seriously there's no charm there's no character to it it's just flat and the 90 minutes that it was on for felt like about four hours and then I, as I got back to the Blu-ray menu I was like oh there's four other versions of the film one here for your viewing pleasure so I would say even if you are into your sort of campy cult crappy horror films for one of a, a better term this is one to avoid uh, like The Plague because they're well clear of extra it was awful Pete what have you got
1: <laughs> but but I mean y- you get what you're given Paul when your most common IMDB search terms are midget bendy hammer and woman gives birth to full grown yes, man yeah. I mean it's just well, so mean, niche just, yeah, I don't yeah, know so, what you I mean there, yeah
0: there's, there's an alien in it as well hasten to add hence extraterrestrial um, yeah and it's just it's just bizarre it's it, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't really say much more than that to be honest I'm not even going to go into the plot that's it I'm done what have you got next
1: <laughs> well talking about not being able to say much more I'm going to whip through very quickly uh, my opinion on Oceans 8 which you did I think last not last week but the last time we recorded two weeks ago I don't even remember um, that. <laughs> yeah it, it was going to be a feature review and thank god it wasn't because there isn't much much to say uh, particularly after Paul has you know got gone at this one already um, what I would say and what came to mind most I guess coming out is that this is rather than what I want from a heist movie which is a big. Uh, and convoluted Rube Goldberg machine, this is dominoes. And each domino clicks into the next domino and onto the next domino and onto the next domino. And just like dominoes, it's vaguely distracting to watch the dominoes fall, but you know where it's all leading. And where it's all leading is a vague sense of emptiness that now what was potential has turned into just a load of fallen dominoes on the floor. So the, the cast is basically fine. The plot is inoffensive but there's so little to get your heart racing and that's there's no all risk you is want there's from, just no risk in that's all you all. want from yeah. from a heist yeah. movie if you think about like one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Rafifi and Rafifi is the complete inverse of this where everything is about these sort of heart pounding moments attention in this yeah like you said on when you went at it Paul like th- there's no jeopardy everything is is very quickly handled I mean some of the cast have quite a bit of fun I think I like Sandra Bullock I've talked about that before uh, Anne Hathaway seems to be enjoying herself playing a sort of what she must think is a hilarious parody version of how Anne Hathaway is although could just be her you know how she actually is in real life um, I don't know Mindy Calling's rubbish um, I don't know <laughs> Uh, Rihanna is rubbish yeah. in this let's just be completely honest Sarah Paulson's in this as well we like Sarah Paulson Sarah Paulson's alright Helena Bonham Carter's yeah. character I don't think really works and I think quite a lot of it's been maybe cut out and Paul I don't know you may have mentioned this already but like your heart must have absolutely sank through the floor when james corden gets a uh, gets a cameo appearance towards the end of the movie i think
0: yeah i think and i i i let a this and it says about there's, there's no jeopardy there's no this there's no that and then james corden turns up and yeah you're supposed to believe that james corden's character at some point like is responsible for taking down George Clooney's character from the previous Oceans films, which all it does is bang on about the fact that she's related to the George Clooney character from the previous Oceans films as well. Mm. Uh, So yes, I hate James Corden, and I like this film not as much as I hated James Corden, but not far off.
1: Yeah, and I think that the biggest thing to sort of take away for me is, like, it's a huge missed opportunity, because with with a more capable, more interesting, and more engaging script, I think that the majority of this cast could have created something genuinely worthwhile
0: it's hugely a missed i completely agree with you because it's just it's just yeah with this much talent it's just a waste of having that that much acting Mm. talent on screen really so yeah hugely disappointed much like yourself
1: right let's never talk about it again paul what have you got second
0: uh i've got on chessel beach uh which came out this year uh which i think is still running in some cinemas somewhere um directed by dominic cook Uh, starring Saoirse Ronan and Billy Howell, I think his name is he's not an actor I'm familiar with um, before but I think he's got some pedigree in TV work from the look of it Uh, this is um, I think I did this as a coming attraction a while ago this is an adaptation of an Ian McEwan novel that I'm very very fond of um, that is um, equal parts um, incredibly romantic and then in equal parts absolutely devastating uh, towards the end Um, and this is the film adaptation of that Um, as it stands it's fine I think it's it's, with book adaptations, I think there's, they're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. So if they stick so slavishly to the text of the book, which they seem to have done here, it almost thinks, well, why adapt it at all? Um, and I think it's I think it's just a property that probably works better on paper than it does on screen. Saoirse Ronan is fine in this, but I, I, her character's supposed to be a little bit sort of stuck up and, and frigid, as she's described as in the film. Um, and her performance is very much that but almost too much so to to really engage you there it's it's fine i've seen worse films i would say if if you are a fan of the book you're not going to sort of you're not going to come out hating this but I just think they could have done something, perhaps, maybe something a little bit different or just something a bit more, a bit braver r- rather than this kind of, almost like, a, do you see what I mean, Peter, if I said like a paint-by-numbers b- book adaptation, that kind of feels like it's rolled off a, a well-oiled machine yeah. um, and s- into cinemas. It's, well, it's, you... it's decent, but unremarkable. Uh,
1: and maybe then you just have the sense that it just didn't need, doesn't need to exist. Yeah, yeah, basically.
0: So yeah, unremarkable, but okay.
1: Um... For me, second this week is one that I'm glad does exist. um, New Netflix property release, uh, Caliber. This film is from director Matt Palmer. Do you know anything about him, Paul? Because I don't think I do. I don't know, I've not heard of Matt Palmer before but I hope to do so again Gas, gas Man apparently, but I've not seen Gas Man Anyway, uh, enough about that Yeah, Calibre, um, long story short two guys go on a deer stalking trip they go on the trip because one of those two guys is about to become a father and I think he's going to get married as well I think he has a fiancé rather than a wife um, and his mate suggests this trip because his mate has an interest in hunting, shooting, deer stalking and so on and has given him a couple of pointers and got him a licence so that he can also wield a gun very early on. uh, Well, actually, what happens in the first quarter of the film I suppose is that the lads show up in a remote Scottish village and go about getting absolutely whammoed in the bar um, hit, like hitting it. on the attractive couple of like saucy young ladies who were there who obviously have all these relatives, ex-boyfriends or interested third parties swarming around, I mean the opening to this film is undeniably, when they walk into the room is undeniably a nod to uh, an American Werewolf Come on, yeah. We'll, yeah 100% yeah. Um, where like everybody in this little local pub for local people sort of turns around and looks at these guys up and down what are they about why are they here what are they doing and so on and so very early on you've got this sense of like unease a bit like you got in um, Eden Lake with Michael Fassbender where like these people are outsiders and maybe they're judged to be like yuppies and uh, the, the local community isn't exactly going to embrace them to its bosom uh, they eventually do go out deer stalking on horrendous hangovers and uh, your man who is I believe played by Jack Loudon if I'm not confusing the two guys um, who is the less experienced of the two hunters uh, takes aim at a deer ...isn't focusing entirely and shoots something that is not a deer and is very much more human. Um, from this point, the guys have to try to deal with what they've done. It's reminiscent again of a film like um, What Richard Did that I've talked about a couple of times recently... ...or like um, Super Dark Times was it came up on something recently
0: yeah super dark times is a good comparison yeah also yeah I, I
1: just just because these are films desu- d- defined by somebody doing something terrible and then trying to either escape the consequences of that or face the consequences of that or maybe both things somewhat simultaneously um i i think the film worked i think it's tidily made i think um it it, it's pacing works pretty well. I think the way that they build towards... as If you've seen any films of this nature, it always builds towards some kind of community celebration. Wicker Man or, or something like no, that. I, again. I mean, and, invoke
0: the Wicker Man for me, in fairness. In the, in yeah, I, I think it's, it's the, another the nod. Like, community. And when you will, it's great from a
1: screenwriting point of view because then you bring this chaos to a situation where the central characters are going to get caught up in a load of events that are happening towards the end and it allows quite a lot of freedom for the screenwriter, I think. Um, yeah, I... I I like this a lot and um, it it made me feel uncomfortable almost throughout which is certainly a a recommendation I think with uh, the subject matter at hand here and yeah I I would recommend it fairly strongly I think it's it's certainly not a a perfect movie and I think the director will go on to do better things but um, as an exercise in kind of tension and limited storytelling I think it's really really good. You've seen it as well, Paul,
0: right? I have, yeah. And I I would just co-sign on everything you've said, basically. And I think, uh, pun intended, um, this is more the calibre of film that Netflix should be uh, funding and putting out. Um, than a lot of the other stuff that they've done, and I think it's it's a good very very good platform to get films like this into a much wider audience than it would otherwise get in front of, because it yeah. would certainly struggle to get cinema release. It would probably get lost on lost on the bottom shelf on a DVD release otherwise. And I I'm, I'm with you. I would really really enjoyed the film. I think it's a it's a taut, well acted, and very well put together thriller. And yes, he's certainly a, a talent to watch. So um, long may Check he keep it. working absolutely well that wraps up uh, popcorn movies this week which means
1: that we will be back as we always are in our next section which is coming attractions
0: so coming attractions this week uh, I've seen a trailer that's grabbed my attention you'll be pleased to know this week I also know the release date for when it's coming out I've actually looked that up as well so uh, you'll be you'll be very pleased to know I've learnt my lesson uh, this is a film, and I'm probably going to butcher his name here, from Panos Con- Cosnantos, uh, called Mandy, which stars Nicolas Cage. Um, is it Angela Riseborough? Am I getting yeah. that name right? Yeah, Angela yeah. Rysbra, Um And yeah, amongst others who I've completely forgotten the name of now. It's a guy that I met a while ago, but I've completely forgotten, so it doesn't matter. Uh, this is a completely batshit looking film uh, that looks to be embracing uh, Nicolas Cage's certainly more entertaining side. Um, I would say it probably is going to be an even more crazy Nicholas Cave performance. Nicholas Cave? <laughs> Nick Cave performance. Nicholas Cage performance. Uh than we saw in the film that I didn't really like, Mum and Dad, um, it just looks completely off the hook, I, I can't really, just watch the trailer, I can't really explain what's going on, uh, Nicholas Cage is running around seemingly covered in blood, uh, there's some animation scenes, there's some axes, there's what I think looks to be some man on a motorcycle covered in nails, um, and it just looks completely off the hook, uh, visually it looks very, very exciting. Uh, his previous film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, was uh, this is director's previous film, not Nick Cage's previous film. Beyond the Black Rainbow was visually uh, enjoyable, but I thought lacked any sense of direction. It felt a bit like a, an, art, an art project as opposed to a film. So if he's tightened up that up and embraced his visual flair. Uh, and given us something more entertaining, I think there's a lot to like about this. It seems to have done well quite well quite well critically. Um, it was screened at Cannes directors' fortnight, so it, it looks like it looks like it's got some weight behind it. It looks like it might be quite exciting, but it looks certainly to be probably the craziest looking film of the year, which I'm all on board with. Uh, Pete, what have you got? Um, so oh, that's so out he... September, by the way, in the US. Sorry, I talked about finding the release date and then didn't give it. September the first is down for the US at the moment.
1: So uh, out on July the 20th, 2018 in the UK, Paul, is uh, A Prayer Before Dawn. (laughs) The, The reason that I my eye was taken to this movie it's pretty much one and that is uh, the actor Joe Cole. Joe Cole was um, one of the two at the center of that Black Mirror episode uh, Hang the DJ, I think it was called, about dating. Uh, yeah, uh, Hang the uh, DJ, yeah. Yeah, uh, meeting new people and stuff like that. Uh, Joe Cole Joe Cole, I should say, was also in Green Room um, and elsewhere, but like he's an actor that I've sort of latched onto a little bit and I, I he's one of my guys for the time being until he proves that that uh, trust was misplaced. This one also, it seems compelling to me, A Prayer Before Dawn, because it tells a true story of a guy who was locked up in the Bangkok Hilton, you know, like that prison in Thailand that is notorious for being absolutely fucking terrible, uh, often <laughs> featured on Banged Up Abroad, which is one of my favourite sort of reality-ish uh, shows of, Banged of, up abroad. of wow. all time. I can't times. say I've ever seen it, Pete, I'll be honest. Well, you're <laughs> missing out, mate. Don't try and laugh at it. Banged <laughs> Up Abroad is incredible. Um but uh, yeah, he, he plays this guy who gets locked up there and in order to survive through that brutal prison system has to train and improve as a Muay Thai fighter and enter Muay Thai competitions against Thai fighters who obviously have a background pedigree and sort of rich history in that particular martial art. Um, I, yeah, as I say, this actor, Joe Cole, is the reason to... to Sorry, so you're basically this
0: it. film is about Joe Cole punching Thai fighters from Star Wars because that sounds incredible if that's the case. Um, or is this... Sounds ludicrous different. no
1: th- <laughs> this yeah it, i mean it's one of those man it could go either way this could be sort of like kickboxer 2 spirit of vengeance or whatever the hell that was called <laughs> or it could be you know something genuinely decent like that um that mma film that i've got the name of warrior um so yeah who, who knows but anything sort of set in and around prison and including some fighting uh, i'll give it a bit of time. i think
0: with that talent involved i think it, it might be quite good but yeah you're right i think with, with material like this you need to be very careful you don't over tread the line into just silly action or or sort, sort of cliched cliched material. But I'm quite on board with this as well. I think. Is there a trailer up? There uh, be? Uh, I think there is, yeah, there is an official trailer. Um, if it's out that soon but yeah but yeah I'm I'm I think I've seen it. Yeah I'm quite looking forward to this as well. Um, so that's pretty much it for coming attractions. We'll be back after this brief interlude with our feature reviews which this week are Sicario 2 and tag.
1: So, First up for features this week Paul We have Tag I, When you said we're doing two features this week One of them is Cario 2 and the other one is Tag I thought you'd just done a typo I had no idea what you were talking about and, and no recollection of seeing anything about this movie But it turns out that Tag has actually got this giant ensemble cast It's a comedy that deals with the true story Of a group of friends kept united over the years Through a simple game of Tag The quote keeps coming up in the film Which is um, you don't get old. You don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop, you stop playing. playing yeah, I think yeah, if correct. I've got it right. Yeah, yeah uh, it's based on a true story. The tagline here, based on a true story. We're not kidding. I feel like they're not trying. Surely something like a touching tale. No. Oh, I Better? see done that. Yeah, no, I see where um, you're coming from. The, the ensemble that I mentioned is led by uh, Ed Helms, Jake Johnson, Annabelle Wallace, who was in that terrible Mummy movie that we butchered recently, uh, Hannibal Buress, uh, Isla Fisher, Rashida Jones is in there, Leslie Bibb, John Hamm, and I guess primarily Jeremy Renner <laughs> playing kind of the character out of that phone advert that he did. Um, this film is like that through the prism of um, the community episodes about paintballing and one particular Key and peel sketch as far as i can tell which key and peel sketch um, is not there a there. Key and pe- there's a key and peel sketch about f- a flick war isn't there oh yes there is yeah 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 it, it's <laughs> very much like that but anyway um this all sounds very bizarre quite flimsy and a difficult um yeah a difficult and tenuous base on which to mount a feature film However, we will give you our thoughts for good or bad right after this clip. Hello,
0: boys. So, who's it? I am. Callahan approaches from the left. Engage no contact protocol. No hand shall touch my body. Mental note Bob slapped Hoagie with his hand. Hoagie is now it. Chili. Ah! dives in a pussy-like fashion. Poor planning. Poor execution. Ah! So that gives you a little bit of a taste of what the film is like. Um, shall I start with? Shall I start with my thoughts? Shall I? You've said it. You've said it pretty eloquently. So I'll do what I should do on a podcast, which is share my thoughts about the film. Um, I, I saw the trailer and thought this looked quite entertaining. the The central premise is something that's quite close to my heart, uh, not because I've been involved in this this game of tag, but um, before we go into it, so are there, what, I, us and a group, a group and me and my friends in our late teens, early twenties, actually had a, a wrestling belt that was on defence twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. So you could get so you could get uh, woken up with it with an ankle lock if you'd stayed over at the wrong person's house. So the kind of appeal and, and the, the that sort of humour does does appeal to me. Um, that little pointless reminiscing side I really really like this film I have to say I think the ensemble cast are all very good in this Uh, the film is knowingly very very silly and doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest as a comedy Uh, I think Jeremy Renner's great Um, for me all of the jokes landed I think I haven't seen a comedy this year where the hit rate of the gags is quite as high Um, and the film had a I would say a heartwarming energy about it about the bonds of friendship and certainly about the fact that you don't need to necessarily grow up as you get old it's still okay to enjoy things that you enjoyed in your childhood so I really like the positive message behind it and Jeremy Renner is ace in this. Pete what did you think?
1: Yeah so the the Renner character I guess we start there. Um, This guy is literally untouchable because he is the guy from childhood to the present day where all these guys are sort of in their later 30s I guess who has never been tagged and as the guy who has never been tagged the rest of the group decide to get well they they routinely get together every May to play the, the game However, this May, they've realised, um, led by Ed Helm's character, they've realised that there is a prime opportunity to finally tag the untaggable Jeremy Renner character because he's going to get married, and this is public knowledge, so they can get in and around the wedding and find that opportunity where they can finally, you know, take him down or at least touch him lightly on the shoulder. Um, This propels the plot. This is the the sort of central thrust of this plot because obviously people just tagging each other on its own isn't really going to last 90 minutes worth of entertainment. But um, what the guys have to do is sort of strategize ways in which they can get close to this guy. All of the while, he's planning this ideal wedding with his sort of borderline um, unhinged wife-to-be played by Leslie Bibb she has a great time here sort of smiling so hard that it looks like the sort of creases at the sides of her mouth are going to tear um, and the the group descending on this wedding is sort of pulled apart a little bit by the presence of Rashida Jones character who is part of this sort of love triangle between uh, John Hamm's character and uh, Jake Johnson's character? Jake Johnson's character is kind of like a a stoner, a bit directionless, a bit hopeless. He's been through a divorce. He, he routinely gets stoned with his dad, and uh, you know, in the morning and stuff like that. And then John Hamm is this high flying, high achiever. It must have been a big stretch for the guy. Uh, well dressed, <laughs> chiseled, handsome character who has his own flaws that aren't initially apparent um I think that the way that the cast interact for me is the thing that you would go for and the thing that will keep you interested and keep you laughing and as you mentioned Paul I think the gag hit rate is pretty high for me the standout in terms of hit rate is Hannibal Buress which is what I would expect because he's got this sort of trademark unaffected deadpan (laughs) delivery not only here but in all the stuff he does eric andre and other places where you you see the guy popping up he's he's got this thing and he's made it his own and i think this is a real coming out party like a real showcase for what hannibal Barres can do as part of, of an ensemble um i yeah i think i'm slightly less keen than you on the movie but i think that it was entertaining and given that it seemed so um thin in terms of material to begin with i they did a very good job of pulling something worthwhile out of the bag yeah and one.
0: it's yeah i think it's um yeah no i did i I'm with you on the Hannibal rest as well. There's that line where he says, uh, "How many legs does an octopus have?" They asked him how many drinks he's had, and he's, "How many legs <laughs> yeah. does an octopus have?" Yeah. And he's like eight, and then he just looks and smirks. And his, his delivery he does pretty much steal every scene he's in. Yeah, I think for me it's just it's just fun, and I think it's it's probably the most fun I've had in the cinema this year. I genuinely like this this movie. was a a very pleasant surprise for oh. me. Uh, I haven't yet seen Blockers, so I don't know whether it will be better than Blockers, but. Yeah, go on Pete. Oh Sorry. no, you, I just you felt your
1: you're doing your uh, you're doing your moving on thing already, but uh Thomas Middleditch as well crops up in this one as a guy working at a gym uh, Jeremy, Jeremy yes. Renner's gym and he has this sort of five minute cameo but man he gets all the juice out of it that he possibly can. That's such a, It's such a bizarre cameo I, I mean it's very, the, very funny the joke again. that they that he runs with is pretty one note and I think in other hands might seem a bit like off colour and a bit um, distasteful <laughs> but I think Thomas Middleditch hands that really, really, handles that really really well so uh, yeah I enjoyed that quite a bit and yeah I, that is the thing with a movie like this Paul if this was a different cast I don't think I'd have a lot of interest in it at all but it isn't no. it's this one and they do a pretty fine job I think
0: well it's, <coughs> it's interesting as well because they they say you well, are based on a true story seriously and then a lot of the a lot of the the setup is very elaborate because it's a Hollywood film and i don't know did you stay um and see the actual videos of the the guys that were playing the game at the end yeah well um, yeah because and the, like there's bits when they have actually dressed up as an old lady to try and uh, to try and tra- to try and trick someone and there they, there is a bit when they are off golf cart so obviously the film i think has exaggerated some of the events that happened but actually i think a lot more of it seem A lot more of it, I think, is true than you would initially realize. Well,
1: well um, and and connectedly, I don't know if you scrolled down on the Letterboxd Reviews page, but one of the top uh, rated or popular reviews was by a guy whose dad is one of the guys. I have read that review, yeah, yeah which is quite touching, to be fair. Yeah, yeah one of the guys who's um, actually involved in the game. Uh, yeah, his son has gone ahead and written his review on on Letterbox. So it's funny, but like the point is, for me, the fact that some guys kept in contact by playing tag is really neither here nor there. Like people keep in contact by doing a lot of different stuff, but they've obviously seen like the kernel of something quite entertaining here and then just giving it to to talented performers and yeah Hannibal Bress we mentioned Jake Johnson I think is really really good here as well
0: Um, yeah even Ed Helms is good in here, and I don't always rate Ed Helms, I'll be honest. I think he's not always the, the strongest performer, yeah, but although, I think he's great in this although,
1: well. Are we buying Ed Helms' marriage to Isla Fisher
0: in this movie? Because I am <laughs> fucking
1: selling on that thing. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's game. She gets to have fun because she gets to be this sort of like overly aggressive sort of psychopath, but she is not caitlin olsen like she she does her best but she can't quite i don't think convince as the the character that she's portraying but you know i'm nitpicking I, it's enjoyable man and like when we get comedies that get to cinema screens and get to a load of eyeballs and aren't outright terrible i think that we should it's probably rare, really, it? so, yeah. them as much <laughs> yeah. as possible so yeah check it out um we have another movie to get to though paul and it's not that funny what's the second review for today
0: Uh, This second review today is Sicario 2 or Sicario 2 Soldado or Day of Soldado. I'm confused as to what they've settled on as the final title. I just think they haven't
1: settled. Yeah, they seem to be various ones for various territories. Um, Yeah, even between Letterboxd, IMD and my cinema ticket, I think
0: there might have been three different titles. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. So we'll go with Sicario 2, which keeps it simple. Uh, This is a sequel to the frankly fucking brilliant uh, original Sicario um, starring Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin uh, Benicia and directed by Denny Villeneuve, uh, written by Taylor Sheridan um, the sequel, who's the sequel directed by Pete? Uh, Stefano Sicario Salima of, it says here who did the um, TV series Gomorrah, is that correct? I think that's uh, where his pedigree lies I don't see
1: Sabura, which is also a Sephora, like that's it. That's perhaps, the one yeah. not Gomorra.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah so we haven't we haven't got the original director back we have got Taylor Sheridan on writing duties again and we have got some of the cast back but in, in uh, I think crucially to to the success or failure of this film is the fact that people were a bit concerned that Emily Blunt's character wouldn't be returning um and I think yeah, I mean set set this one up for us. Where are we, Pete, with the uh where are we now? Following on from the okay, first film.
1: Okay, so yes, the first film dealt with the, the ongoing seemingly unending war between cartels in and around the Mexico-US border. In this film, we open up with a sequence in which a group of migrants is attempting to cross from south to north across that that same border um, and are picked off and summarily rounded up, um, except for one guy who. Um, and I'm not spoiling anything about the movie; it's pure setup, but who detonates a, an IED um, in front of. The people around him killing a few people and we can see that like the film feels as if it's taken a a left turn into being about um, terrorism and particularly sort of Islamic State terrorism um, as opposed to its original concern which is of course like cartels and drug smuggling. However, what I believe Taylor Sheridan has done is try to paint a more complicated picture um you know already fairly complex colors of the first film in tying together um this international sort of islamic terrorism with cartels with um people smuggling and the way in which corruption is pervasive through levels of government the world over um It's a bold undertaking because goodness knows it's very difficult to sum up these issues in, you know, a multi-volume publication, let alone a two-hour movie. And so what the film does is it focuses in on a few different strands. One of those strands is related with the kidnapping of the daughter of a cartel leader um, in order to instigate a cartel war that will create problems for the cartels and and clamp down in the way in which authorities attempt to clamp down. on.
0: Well, it's kind of revenge, isn't it, for for them smuggling the suicide bombers into the US. So the US government decides to get kind of a revenge tale on, on shutting down the cartel it's a kind of a revenge but it
1: it's revenge based around sort of taking a, a, a baseball bat to a hornet's nest um yeah and then we've got this sort of coming of age bronx tale-esque story of a boy who is coming up within a cartel or at least being given opportunities for employment within a cartel who um is going to proved to be a key plot point later on in one of the more egregious bits of slightly lazy writing I think by Taylor Sheridan when uh, a character bumps into another character's car but I won't get into that in any detail for, for fear of spoiling the film. Um, suffice to say though there's a there's a, a complex network here of, of cause and effect and from that we know that we're going to get a lot of seriousness, a lot of bloodshed and maybe a, not a great deal of resolution or a great number of answers. Here's a little clip.
0: No rules this time. Turning
1: you loose. How loose? Carlos Reyes. How's that for loose? It's your chance to get even for your family.
0: You're going to help us start a war. Right, so as I said earlier, the original I think is arguably one of my favourite films in recent memory. I think it's an incredible piece of work and I think a lot of that is down to the uh, Emily Blunt's character in it and the fact that she kind of provides a moral compass to the absolute bastards that are played by Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro's Sicario character. Um, And I think uh so there is i had a concern going in that maybe this would lack some of the film's subtleties and not be quite as interesting because you haven't got that kind of moral compass in in between the two of them and to an extent i think i was right i think this film is is still very very well made um it's nice to see uh for want of a better word almost like a a grown-up a a film made by grown-ups for grown-ups it's a it's a knowingly gritty thriller it's incredibly dark um and it makes no bones about the fact it is dealing with some pretty horrendous issues. But I think it's not as interesting as me as the first film because it, it lacks that that moral compass. You've got Josh Brolin and Michelle Torre this time around, who I think are great in their roles. But there's no kind of there's seemingly no foil for them. I think they try and do it with the daughter of the cartel leader, but she doesn't really have she's not really got a big enough role, to, I think, to impact the story. Pete, where do you stand on on the the lack of Emily Bunt's character this time around? Did it did it harm the film for you or
1: yeah? I think it absolutely harms the film. I agree. I think that, um, yeah, that's our that's the proxy for the audience in the first film. The, the Emily Blunt character with the the atrocities even witnessed in the opening sequence in in original Sicario, um, place Emily Blunt as a, a recognizable human being within inhuman circumstances, and through using her within the plot we have a sense of how somebody who isn't so grizzled and hardened as to be almost, um, you know, alien, like the Josh Brolin character, how a a real beating heart might react to seeing the kind of things that we see. I think without that, yeah, you said it's a a, a film by grown-ups for grown-ups, but I don't know that it's a film by grown-ups who are that interested in really telling us very much about the situation other than than painting sort of a a, a scene almost entirely in shades of, of sort of black and gray and yes i understand that the cartel issue and the migrant issue and world terrorism are incredibly complex, but if all we're doing is making a movie that represents those things as being somewhat complex, and then having, like Josh Brolin's character at one point, they say, um, "What's what are the rules of engagement? And he says, fuck it all, just clear it all out, or something like that. And I felt watching this film, like, on the one hand, maybe we're getting the kind of film that is entirely in lockstep with our sort of troubled times in the sense that we're in a time of of confusion misinformation fake news and spin and what we get is a film that just holds up those things but doesn't really examine them in in any way that i found particularly intellectually interesting or compelling so i mean what i wanted more of in this film and i and i I know that it's maybe the wrong way to look at it when you try and talk about the film that you wanted rather than the film that you got. But what I wanted was more of the interplay with Catherine Keener's Mm. character, who is this suit from the, the, you know, like a federal suit from, I guess, the FBI, who is liaising with the, you know, uh, the the people upstairs or whatever. Yeah, the government, basically. The real yeah. power brokers, yeah, in the U.S. government, and then with the likes of Josh Brolin, who are like boots on ground, get shit done. You know, there are going to be casualties of war, etc. I mean, Catherine Keener, incidentally, and I mentioned this on our show, Paul, uh, was in uh, an audio-only show. It was a podcast, but it was like a, a drama called Homecoming, right. which has real connection to what she does in this movie. And I think, like vocally, she's so great. Mm. Um, that that works and her role here works but her role here is tiny we have so little female involvement in the plot and we don't have to have that but I think you know, it, when it when the only well, it works real... so well in the first
0: film is the is the problem. I it think it does.
1: Yeah. You're right. It does. And what we've got, as you mentioned, is like a little bit of time spent with a, a young actress who I think is actually very good here. But she is a captive who rarely is allowed to talk. And when she can communicate something, it's usually just you know panic and, and fear and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think you know to sum up what once as you've pointed out, Paul, once you take Emily Blunt out of this equation or that character that that she portrayed. I felt like you're left with a sort of workaday thriller about an issue that doesn't get very far into penetrating the the sort of um the exterior of that issue. Do you, do you see where, I see where, where from. from? I, I would. would, uh, it would
0: for me, I think Workaday is a little bit harsh. I still think. I still think it's an effective, very well put together thriller, and it is an incredible. But were you thrilled? Pieces. Yeah, were I was so I think with you know when the because to be an effective thriller, it has to be thrilling. I, for was me, it me thrilling? was thrilling. Yeah, for me, it was thrilling. I said it hasn't got the edge of the first film, but then I, as I said, I I adore the first film. I have to say, um it hasn't got the edge of the first film, but I think it's still. I think it's still for me, it was an effective genre piece um did it need to happen probably not uh, does it add anything to the first film certainly not um but it, as a thriller in its own right i i rated it but it's not as good as the first film i think i probably rated it higher than you but it's certainly not as good as the first one by a by a stretch well and and i
1: guess a, a cap on that is like the, without talking about what happens this I hold Taylor Sheridan in relatively high esteem, and I think we've established that both of us are fans from yeah. you know the, the the review that we had of, for example, *Hello, High Water* or like the first *Kara* movie and, and so on. But um, the ending to this film is, to me, some of the most deplorable, like, low-level screenwriting. Strange, yeah. And I I wondered, looking at it, it was so baffling to me that I think that it, it just smacked of studio interference. That feels to me like, oh, this is going to make more money so we're going to carry on this sort of saga that no one particularly asked for um it was such an odd way to end this film such an odd way to end it
0: it, i would give you that the the ending the end is very very bizarre it it makes just almost no sense at all as to why those said not spoiling it as to why those events would actually take place um and it almost feels tax on yeah it does and it almost
1: made me laugh because the uh, I don't know if you're aware, Paul, of the uh, the show The Ultimate Fighter, which has existed for a <laughs> while, where uh, Dana White looks for a guy who's going to get sort of a low-level contract in the UFC, get beaten right. a couple of times and get cut. But uh, he has a slogan <laughs> on that show where when faced with this young prospect, he will say, or young prospects, he will say to the group, so, you want to be a fighter? And that's basically what, <laughs> what the, at the, the end, character yeah. that we can't name says to the other character at the end of this film. And I just thought, like, what what are we doing now? Is this just like a reality show about, like, the, the, the requirements of entry into the world of sort of organised or slightly disorganised crime? I mean, I've been quite down on it, Paul. I think that um, when I say work-a-day thriller... I should include in that the caveat that there are some set pieces in this involving things like um, grenades and rockets and even just distance gunfire, which I did think were effective. I don't know that I was thrilled, but I did think they were effective. And I think that I, you know, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to see the film. I just think that it, it, yeah, as you've already said, man, I think it just doesn't add very much at all to the Sicario kind of fran. If it's a franchise, I guess we can call it a franchise now, but yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, don't I think the they might be.
0: Well, that that ending indicates they might be trying to turn it into a franchise. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah, um, more than more than
1: indicates, I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, I think that pretty much sums up sums up where we stand on Sicario Two. Um, credits before we go have you got any credits that you want to give is anyth- anything yeah. so credits is where we just basically give credit to maybe well England football team maybe they did alright last night didn't they well, uh, well they've done better than our World Cup I, I could
1: Paul <laughs> I could give credit to Eric Dyer um, who scored England's uh, deci- decisive penalty last night because he is in fact a guy who was born in the town of Cheltenham where uh, I am currently oh, based really? and okay. grew up yes but I don't want to do that because it's a film podcast so I want to give credit to the thing that I just mentioned which is Homecoming uh, check it out it's the drama audio drama series with katherine Keener and like david schwimmer who yeah it sounds like that's going to be awful because david schwimmer is ross from friends but it's some of the best work he's ever done i think and it's uh, audio only make of that what you will um but yeah homecoming's really good it's all about like um deprogramming soldiers who have seen horrible things whilst deployed abroad by the u.s military and the fallout of the kind of um Yeah, the horrors of war, basically. And Catherine Keener is fantastic in it. Check it out. Paul, what have you got?
0: Uh, Flowers is back on Channel 4. Well, has been back for a couple of weeks now. The incredible, I would say finest TV series I've seen in many a year on British television. uh, Written by Will Sharp, who is returning here. Everyone's back. Julian Barrett, Olivia Colman are probably the two main actors you will recognise, and Will Sharp, the writer, is in this. Um, again, it's I was watching an episode last night, and it just it, go, it, makes, it goes from tears of laughter to genuine tears of sadness. Um, it's probably, I would say, even more bonkers in places this time round, although that is a deliberate plot device without spoiling it, uh, but it is superb. If you haven't seen Flowers, there is no excuse not to watch Flowers. Find it on all four, watch it, it's fantastic. Well, talking of fantastic, Paul, this has been fantastic, apart from the sort of sweltering heat and
1: uh, continual sweating. But we will be back in not two weeks, but one week this time. It was a, an aberration last time um, for <laughs> episode 96. So look forward to that. Before that, and in the meantime, please go, get yourself down iTunes, give us a five-star rating, uh, spread the podcast around, share it with your friends, tell people, hey, listen to this show where they have some semblance of an idea about movies. And um, yeah, if we've turned you on to anything, let people know, because that is how this thing can go from strength to strength is it not Paul?
0: Yes and to do that you can find us on social media on Instagram, uh, strangers in a cinema Twitter at strangers cinema uh, Facebook strangers in a cinema uh, pretty much just use the title of the podcast put it in social media and you will find us there. On the internet mate yeah do it on the internet. Uh, Yeah all over the internet. So yeah we we will
1: (laughs) uh, well we'll be back on the mic in a week's time until then see ya. Goodbye Shut up and sit down